welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. The majority of hairdressers I meet find their way into this industry for reasons like the social interaction or perhaps the creativity aspects that a hairdressing career can offer. Most of us don't initially get into hairdressing with a business focus, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the reality is that most of us then open salons completely ill-equipped for the skills of what running a business really involves. We have to learn the language of business and learn fast. And fortunately, many of us do. We often hear about these incredibly successful, profitable businesses, and I've interviewed some of those salon owners on previous podcasts, but I'm also only too aware that those success stories don't represent the industry as a whole. Most salons run on very small profit margins, and as has been laid bare in the coronavirus shutdown, most salons have no savings or cash flow buffer to survive more than a week or two without going into further debt or relying on government intervention. Now, as unsexy as it might sound, a lot of the success of business all comes down to understanding the numbers that go on in the business and being able to make the right decisions about your business accordingly. My guest today on today's podcast is Tom Kuhn, accountant, former salon owner, and founder of US-based business called Cunity. In today's podcast, we're going to discuss what exactly is Cunity, the importance of visual learning to understand the numbers, what are the key metrics to focus on, and what are the lessons for small businesses that we should take away from the current situation, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Tom Kuhn. Anthony, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I, uh, I'm thrilled to be a guest today. Well, it's absolutely our pleasure. It's great to have you here, especially with what's happening, you know, in the, in the world at the moment. Uh, it's good to have someone who can talk from a, um, you know, a real factual perspective about what's going on, because at the end of the day, it all comes down to the numbers. But um, before we jump into uh, talking about all that, let, let's just start off with a, an overview. Who is Tom June? What exactly is your background? So give us your two minute backstory. Yeah, so I, I think the best way to start is to express that I have a passion for living in the middle. And that will really sum up my background quite a bit. Um, I have this natural tendency that if something gets out of balance in my life, I have to swing the pendulum on another uh, method. So anyway, that's a segue into really, I think, three chapters of my career. Uh, I started out as an accountant, a CPA, uh, put in about 30,000 hours working for accounting firms. Uh, large, uh, medium, and small. And I really honed my skills. And I really, and during that chapter of my career, I worked primarily with entrepreneurial and, and in fact, many creative industries. So that's like the first 15 years of my career. Um, very left-brained, uh, very numbers heavy, very spreadsheet, no touching, no heart, whatever. Uh, midway through, uh, I had a client in the professional beauty industry and distribution. Um, and that led me to leave working for a formal accounting firm and brought me into professional beauty, starting out in distribution. Very different type of industry. And in terms of living in the middle and being almost at the extremes, moving into a field that's highly creative, intuitive, emotional, 
Um, and one where touching was not only permitted, but damn well encouraged. And I learned very well early on. So I came from these two very different worlds. And I would say that the last chapter of my career has been the most fulfilling to move from more of a left brain industry, which was accounting, very right brain industry, which is the professional beauty industry and merge those together. Um, So that's been about the last 12 years where I've really brought together more whole brain thinking, um, where we're able to help um, salon owners and professionals uh, earn more money, do what they love, and have great quality of life. Um, both chapters of my career taught me tons. Um, one chapter was linear thinking, finance, strategy. The other was not only visual thinking, but also uh, how to be empathetic, uh, how to have a heart, uh, the importance of touch, and um, what, a, what, what a gift I've been given to be able to come from both of these backgrounds and then merge it into something that I think truly can help salon owners, managers, and their teams across the world. Okay. Well, well let's dig into some of that a bit more. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued. Here you are, a, a CPA, an accountant. You're working for a big, you know, global accountancy firm. As you said, it was, you worked, you know, regionally, and, and you often had a lot of smaller entrepreneurial clients. Um, and then you go from that sort of, you know, left brain numbers, very formally structured type of business. And you start working with smaller, more entrepreneurial forms, firms work, working in the hair industry or the hair and beauty business, so to speak. Um, how did the, I, I suppose what I'm asking is this, was there ever any sort of an aha moment about, you know, I'm really now in here with my sleeves rolled up. I'm dealing with the real challenges that, that small business owners have every day, um, not just on a spreadsheet, but, you know, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm surrounded by all the challenges and frustrations that go on in these small businesses. Talk to us about that. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of aha moments through the years. Uh, one was the importance of visual thinking and watching how financial information was traditionally taught with spreadsheets, numbers, and text, um, yet the audience didn't want spreadsheets, numbers, and text. They wanted to learn visually. Really big aha for me was the importance of visual thinking. Um, Was that more so... Was that more so just with hairdressers, or was that small businesses across the board? You know what? I I think that's a great question. One few people ask me. I would say that it is true with most small businesses, um, but it's certainly exasperated and even larger in the professional beauty industry just because of concentration of of certain skills and practices. So yes, when I worked as a CPA, I also worked with ad agencies, architects, um, art dealers, and then you know people that sold steel. So, um, but absolutely the salon industry, I think may have a greater need for some of the more visually orientated, um, uh, way of teaching, which you do so great at, by the way. I mean, uh, and I got to give you a quick shout out. If you just allow me to acknowledge you to your listeners, I've been watching you you for a long time, my friend, sorry, I'm messing up your format here, but I've always admired the books that you've done. They're just beautiful. They're packed with information. And anyway, if, I'm really thrilled to be here, by the way. I know I'm, I'm getting you off track. You're a great educator, coach, and I appreciate the design. So I had to give you a shout out more as an artist educator. And that's something that I admire in you and other people is to be able to take information. Otherwise, might be really boring, like accounting yeah. and bring life to it, you know, bring life to it with passion, visuals, et cetera. 
Well, I, I think that, well, first of all, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I always think of myself as I'm the client, you know, um, how do I learn? Yeah, you know, and I, I know we asked the question about the, the sort of the visual side of things and, and is it, was it more so hairdressers than others? But, you know, I can remember when I opened my salons, I'd go along to my, my CPA, my accountant, and he'd give me the, you know, the set of financials at the end of the year. And I'd, I'd just be looking at these, these reams of paper and uh, Excel spreadsheets. And I didn't have a clue what the hell I was looking at. And uh, I was very fortunate in that one of the accountants I had, I had two or three over the years, he turned things into graphs a lot. And as soon as I saw it, started seeing things in a graph format, it was like a eureka moment because a graph is a picture of the numbers. Whereas if you gave me a, a spreadsheet, I mean, I'm sure with your accountant's hat on, I could give you an Excel spreadsheet. You could look at the numbers and you could see some patterns going on. But if you give me an Excel spreadsheet with numbers and say, is it going up or down or, or sideways? I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. But as soon as you take those numbers and put them into a graph format, you know, because a graph is basically a picture of what the numbers are telling you, that, that was such a powerful moment for me as a business owner. And, you know, in terms of my books, um, I, I recognize that, you know, hairdressers, I mean, people generally have a short attention span. Hairdressers maybe even more so. And we live in this, this time of, uh, you know, people's attention span is so short because of social media and Instagram, et cetera, that you've got you've to entertain them as well as educate them. And whether it's entertaining them through, you know, the words that are coming out your mouth or through, you know, visual, you know, stimulation that you're putting in front of them. Um, and I know that this is an area of expertise that you've really developed. Um, it, it, it becomes a very powerful way of teaching people that maybe, and I, I don't think of myself, I didn't do particularly well in the traditional sense of academic education, but I certainly don't think of myself as not being intelligent. It's just that the way schools taught people and the way I learned were two different things. And I actually think that that is why a lot of people end up in hairdressing. They're not necessarily not bright. It's just that the way schools worked wasn't a fit for them. And so teaching people with visual aids, which I know you've become a master of in terms of, you know, taking financial and accounting principles and, and turning them into visual uh, tools is an incredibly important thing to do. But th this is meant to be me getting you to talk. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, so so um, let, let me just back that up a little bit because I know we're going to come through this journey. Um, so you get involved in running the jute salons as a partner were you a business partner in the in the, in the salon group that's correct i was um i was president coo co-owner and uh, yes right okay so so you're running the salon group with you know half a dozen is there half a dozen salons in jute i think there's more now, uh, but at, at, the the, at the time there was eight uh, seven in minnesota in the u.s and one in california right. and um okay. about 400 people yes right okay so big business but you know, all of a sudden you're dealing with these people that are the person I just described to you, these visual learners, yeah. whether they were managers or stylists or whatever. And you must have gone into that. Okay. You obviously already had a leaning in that direction towards visual learning and visual teaching, but you must have developed, this is what I'm getting to. You must have then seen the opportunity to develop ways of getting information across to ultimately get these people to be more productive, to ultimately get them to understand what was going on in their business more, 
So so talk to us about that before you then went out and started Cunity, because I'm thinking that your um, your time at Duke was a bit of a, um, a, a test bed for a lot of these things, that you started to develop an understanding of the best way to communicate in this hairdressing industry. Yeah, I... Uh... I got a couple things that I'm going to piggyback on what you just said there. And um, yes, the latter part of what you said, you called it a test. When you're all in for six years, you don't think it's a test. I mean, you're in, you're doing everything yeah. you can to help the company and everybody in the team prosper and a lot of responsibility for a lot of families. Having said that, when I did leave, I took this hiatus. Um, I, I was at Jew for six years, tremendous opportunity, great people, learned a ton and six years. And then when I left, I needed to merge together the two chapters of my career. And so I took time off and uh, just became a photographer for a little bit and learned the importance of visual communication and design. And and I also put together a storyboard of everything I learned up to that point in my career in the beauty industry. And I broke it. It was a a five-column storyboard. Fast forward to today, that actually became the content for CUNITY's core program. So yes, there was tons of lessons. Um, but let me give you a story that I think really amplifies a really big lightning bolt for me. And, um, and I'll, I'll keep the story short, but it really was a big aha moment and drove my career. Uh, actually, and I've got a second one I'll share later, but let's just stay focused here. So we had, um, we had at Jute, we had a larger company. We had 40 directors, and these are hairdressers that are um, helping to mentor, et cetera, members of the team and all that. And um, we had quarterly meetings where we brought everybody together, um, including a lot of hairdresser leaders. And um, I, I would go in the salons all the time, talk to people, sit in the back room and what have you. And I'd see what's on their mind. And it kept coming up that, um, oh, we need to do more advertising. And um, we, need to do, we need to spend more money in advertising. You know, I was starting to hear that quite a bit. And... Um, so at a quarterly meeting, I addressed that ver- verbally. I said, guys, it's come to my attention. We need to do more uh, advertising. Heads up. We do a ton of community work. Um, we have our brand is out there. It's healthy. And advertising, frankly, is we'd rather put more money into staff and education, et cetera. Okay. And I said, furthermore, we don't have a new client issue. Uh, we're only keeping 29 out of 100 new clients. So I said that verbally in meeting number one. Another quarter goes by. I'm still hearing that out in the field. I said it again. Quarterly meeting ends. They still don't buy it. It wasn't until the third meeting I went to our graphic or marketing person. I said, I got to show them this. Um, They're just not understanding what I'm saying. I have a failure to communicate here because I'm using words and numbers and they use pictures. So she designed this very simple thing. It was just a chart. And it was broken down 29% like a pie chart, um, smiley face, and 71% frown. And I said, frown, these are clients that don't come back for a second visit. 29%, they do come back for a second visit. We don't need more advertising. We just need to take better care of our guests. That, and yep. afterwards, one of our key directors came up to me and she said, why didn't you show us that before? I said, I've been telling you that for nine months. And she said, yeah. well, you didn't show us. Yeah. Talk about yeah. A, that. That fueled my career. Uh, that moment right there, the importance of communicating visually. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, with the uh, transition then from 
Jute running that into starting Cunity? What what was it? Yeah, did you just see that there was an opportunity for okay, I'm doing this for this group of six, seven, eight salons, but I wanna I wanna be broader with it. I wanna you know develop an education company. I wanna take this message out to more people. Was was that the sort of catalyst that you know made you sort of launch Cunity? Yeah, I I really I felt a calling to reach a wider audience. Uh, I felt a calling to put together my two backgrounds and to make it something that could really help people. Uh, I felt a calling to not have 400 people reporting to me, uh, 400 <laughs> families. Um, and I really was tired of brick and mortar business too. And I was called in a lot of different ways. I didn't know what I was creating, Anthony. I didn't know until later. Um, so I just uh, had this little bit of a hiatus, became a photographer, I did just for my own personal expression. And then I started easing back into the beauty industry with a couple chapters um, very small chapters before launching Cunity, which has been around 12 years now. My God. Yeah, so. Okay. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your uh, your mission statement. Uh, I was listening to uh, some videos on, on YouTube before we got on the call, and you have this very well thought through mission statement. Uh, well, because uh, you, you keep repeating it, so I'm assuming it's your mission statement. And I hope you're not sitting there thinking, "What the hell was that again?" <laughs> you know, it, it's a very well thought through mission statement about who you are and you know what you aspire to do as a business. Do you want to? Do you want to first of all tell us what it is, and uh, and then and then you know let's take that in that direction. Yeah, I mean, we're very clear on our mission right at the beginning, and it really is to help people prosper. I mean, it's a one-word mission, and prosper to us means more than money. It means um, you know, earning money, doing what you love, and have a great quality of life. We've really honed in on an even more focused version of that right now, and yeah. we really narrowed this down into something much more specific, and that is really about helping to level up financial management uh, for salons and other small businesses to survive and thrive what's going on right now. So we've really honed our, our message down to, you know, we really feel called to help in particular in the financial side of the business because the decisions that individuals and businesses need to make right now are going to be so financially based in uncharted territory and most people are not equipped enough financially through literacy, practices, et cetera, to make good decisions right now. And that's where we want to help. Right. Okay. So, you know, it, it's blatantly obvious we don't rehearse any of this, and that's exactly the way I want it to be. Uh, but the mission statement I, I heard you say two or three times on different videos was you very purposefully tied in. You mentioned some of it then, financial literacy, but you you tied in uh, about using visual aids to increase that financial literacy as a phrase, you know, that, that you that you referred to a lot. Um, simple and, simple and visual. Yep. Simple, simple and visual. And visual. That's as, yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, in different countries, uh, you know, we're all going through this, this, you know, issue at the moment um, with uh, coronavirus and it's a, it's a, it's a health uh, crisis, but it is rapidly turning into a financial crisis. And, um, you know, different governments, both at a federal or state level, they're offering aid to help salons survive in different ways. 
So without getting down into the weeds about any particular state or country or, or, or you know, an aid program, what are some of the generalizations, some of the golden rules, so to speak, that you would be saying apply to salon owners no matter where you are to help them through this time? It's a great question, and it's very easy to make this a global conversation. Uh, obviously, I'm from the U.S., and the U.S. has its own nuances, et cetera. I want to stay more with global financial management that would apply regardless of whether you're Europe, Asia, um, uh, North America, wherever, South America. And um, we always have to remember that cash is king, um, and cash mm. is the lifeblood, and it's the oxygen of the business. I don't care where you are. And one of the things that I have learned in working with distressed companies, and the distressed company is a company that's underperforming. In certain cases, their survival's on the line because I have done a lot of turnaround-related projects, is that uh, you really have to have a much greater handle on cash flow than you probably ever imagined. Um, and a very simple practice, and that is daily cash flow every single day and creating a very simple model. It's, you can a spreadsheet, um, you know, what came in that day, what's going out, and then put into what, what you expect is going to happen tomorrow, next week, the week after. And it's something to start very slowly and organically, but you have to be able to have greater predictability of cash flow. And that requires doing daily cash flow modeling and building a very simple model. So that is a, you know, and it's not weekly. But and I do have some other practices, but I'll pause there for a moment. Yeah. Okay. So so cash flow budgets. I mean, I, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, I'm I am the person that we're talking to, so to speak. I'm a bit older now, a bit wiser in the process, and I've learned a lot of this stuff. But you know, I remember when I opened my salons, I basically thought, well, how hard can it be? You know, I'm I'm going to cut hair all day and uh, fill the cash register up with money and and pay all the bills and you know become rich and famous in the process. And then I realized it didn't quite work like that. And uh, when I first got uh, sat down with one of my accountants who gave me a, uh, a cash flow budget. It was like a eureka moment of, oh, my God, here's a cash flow budget for, you know, a 12-month period of time, and, and this is where we start, and this is what we're going to, you know, these are our fixed costs, and these are the things we're going to plug in at the end of every week, and are we, are we ahead of the plan? Are we behind the plan? It, it was such a, uh, you know, such an important learning. Um, and, and everywhere I go, I see salon owners that have, you use that term financial literacy, that like me, they start off with such a low level of financial literacy. And if you don't, you know, learn this stuff, you, you simply don't survive. Um, or if you, if you do survive, and I think that this is what's become really apparent with the coronavirus pandemic, is that... Most salons, and, and I've sort of seen this from people I deal with at a one-to-one -one level or seminars I do, et cetera, is that most salons are not really profitable. They're, they're a lifestyle business. The person who runs it, owns it, is behind the chair. Uh, they drive a nice car. They live in a nice house. They, you know, they're their own boss, and they get a holiday once a year. Um, and, and maybe they manage to put a new kitchen in and run it through the business you know, every five years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But in terms of there being profit showing – on the you know uh, the balance sheet, there's there's a lack of it, and 
with with what's happened at the moment where it's a bit like musical chairs and and uh, all of a sudden the music stopped it, it's showing the vulnerability of so many salons that they are surviving on very small profit margins and there's no fallback position there's no you know that there's no buffer to get them through um, talk to us about that from the, the salons that you're dealing with now, uh, because I know that you've, you know, you've got this mission to help uh, 10,000 small businesses through this. Um, what, what are some of the, you know, the lessons that people are, are, are taking from, okay, I have been flying by the seat of my pants for years. What are the things that they need to be putting in place going forward? Yeah, profitability um, pre-pandemic um, was already quite low, as you said. It's a, the salon industry is a very low profit margin industry, absolutely. And I think that's true globally. The, you know, the, um, what are key things that might change that? Well, first of all, um, you, know, you mentioned your journey and learning along the way and what have you. And it's not just the salon industry that is traditionally poor in financial literacy, financial know-how, practices, discipline, and all that. It's the small business community. Uh, most people right. get into small businesses not really necessarily coming with a strong anchor financially. Um, as it relates to increasing profitability, you know, the answer to that question pre-March uh, is different to that question post-March. Uh, Pre-March, I really felt the formula, um, there was formulas, there was bankable things that would help someone go from 2% profitability to 10%. And um, I actually put that into a full curriculum. It's called Plan for Profit. And some of the things that um, really make a very big difference is uh, where do I go first with this one? Well, there's certain rules of thumb I like to give here, okay? And there's yeah. certain practices. Uh, one is called week in, week out. And higher profit small businesses and salons, they've set up a weekly ritual where they've cleared everything out of their brain and space, whatever. And they look at they look at the financial part of the business. They meet with their bookkeeper, they meet with their accountant, with their manager, but they carve out that time. Um, it's not a monthly business. It's a daily business, but weekly decision-making is vital for higher profitability. Number two, uh, have to have a forward focus. Uh, most businesses uh, use traditional financial statements. They're past-based. You know, a P&L, an income statement, um, is from the past. Um, you have to have a forward focus. You have to be looking out and anticipating what your sales are going to be, where your expenses are, because it creates less stress. It allows you to be more proactive in your decision-making. And then one other practice um, that we teach is the ability to um, um, uh, have a name to every number. And what I mean by that is to go down your profit and loss statement. Other countries might call it an income statement, but it's your traditional sales minus expenses equal profit. And to go down every line item and make sure there's a name to every number on your profit and loss statement to who is managing that, who's paying attention to it, so one person, you know, even a very small company that maybe have three or four chairs, um, 10 chairs, whatever, um, is to find someone to help you, um, to help you look at line items in the P&L to be proactive about the management of them. 
So for example, yeah. this person's going to be in charge of color and color order. And um, I'm going to be in charge of making sure we manage front desk hours, et cetera. So those are a few different things. Week in, week out, forward focus, named every number. Okay. As a you know, a person who's had a great overview of the industry for a long time and really looked at the facts and people's businesses, you know, you've really looked at some people's P&Ls and you know what's going on. Um, what would you suggest, based on your experience, is a realistic profit margin that a well-run salon should be able to achieve? So I will give you information from the U.S., uh, which I also would believe with Canada. So we'll say North America. Yeah. Um, or US I actually Canada. think, incidentally, that the numbers are very similar across. Yeah, the, the only two countries that I find dramatically differ are China and India. Um, I've been fortunate to work in a lot of different countries and their employee costs are dramatically lower. But when you start talking about numbers and benchmarks and, you know, I talk to people in America or Canada or the UK or Europe, Australia, whatever, they're usually very similar. So um, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear what you say with that. Sorry to interrupt you. No, it's great. And uh, this is a very interesting subject. And I will give you data as I know it. And I'll also make this as a global plug uh, there needs to be more standardization around reporting of financial information. Um, salon industry is one of the few industries that really don't doesn't have, for example, standardized ways to report your information. And there's no really great coordinated efforts to find factual data regarding profitability. I do have some factual data, though. Um, first of all, if I were to give you just a general overview based upon 25 years of looking at P&Ls and um, what I know, I would say average profitability would be approximately uh, two cents on the dollar, so two percent. There's also a lot of data showing that most salons actually lose money, but really very, very low single-digit profitability. I do have a set of data that is directly from profit and loss statements as a result of an organization that I put together called the Two to Ten Project, and this these are salons that have between two and ten locations. And it's a it's, um, networking group, uh, sharing data, uh, brand neutral, et cetera. And what we found through looking at actual profit and loss statements, that group averaged 5% profitability, not 5.1, not 4.9. It was like exactly 5% over multiple years. But there's yeah. so much room for questioning those numbers because of how different people pay each other and how that might relate to distorting profitability. I would say what's realistic is uh, certainly 10% is the goal um, for profitability after the owner has an opportunity to pay her or himself. So, And we and certainly have seen higher than that, but please go forward. Yeah. No, what you just said is is the bit that I find frustrating uh, because I'm not an accountant, uh, and but I do seminars on money and I look at a lot of P&Ls with different salon owners. And, and uh, you know, one of the things I'll often say to them, I'll, I'll ask them, okay, what percentage of your total uh, uh, revenue is profit? And instead of getting a number, you'll get a story or, <laughs> or you'll get a number but it'll be a number that I'll just think to myself, hang on, that's, that's not, you know, the case. I know that's not the case. And you'll dig a bit deeper. And the, the single biggest thing that happens again and again and again is that salon owners confuse profit with what they pay themselves. 
And so often they'll say, oh, we're making 15% profit. And then you dig a bit deeper and it's like, well, hang on, that's actually not profit. That's your wages. Your, your profit is this figure that is left over after everything else has been paid. And it's like you have to keep that sentence as simple and as clear as that, don't you? That profit is left, what's left over after everything else has been paid, including you, the owner. Because they get caught up in this whole three-card trick of thinking that they're making, you know, 10, 15, 20% profit or whatever, and yet very, very few of them are. I mean, I do come across the odd salon, which has had huge profit margins, 15, 20%. And every one of them, the thing they all have in common is huge retail business as well. Um, whereas when you when you look at the average salon out there, which doesn't have a huge retail business, uh, what you just said then, 2%, 2 cents in the dollar, somewhere between 2 and 5, would be my experience as well. We're dealing with lots of salons and looking at their P&Ls. And that would apply whether we're talking UK, Australia, Europe, US, Canada, whatever. It seems to be across the board. It's a it's a difficult business to make a real profit out of. And, and that is why most of them are what I alluded to. They're lifestyle businesses. But I firmly believe exactly what you said, actually. So we must have been reading the same books. Uh, <laughs> I firmly believe that you should be able to make 10% profit as a good round number. And that's what I try and steer people to, uh, to achieving because I believe it's possible. I see businesses that do do that. And uh, you and I want more businesses to do that. The biggest killer I always find is their employee costs. So, you know, first thing we do in whatever way we achieve it, we figure out what their numbers are and or they figure out what their numbers are. And, you know, they're coming in at this very small profit margin. The next question that comes out of their mouth or the next thing we suggest to them is, how are we going to increase this? And then so the first thing we need to do is look at, well, where's the other 98% or whatever going? And, you know, of course, we've got, you know, the product cost and, and you know, utilities and, and rent, et cetera. But the big one every time is always the employee cost thing. And that's the thing that, that um, everyone struggles to, you know, try and keep under control. Do you have a number that you say to people, this is where your employee costs have got to sit if you want to try and run a profitable business? What, what sort of, you know, band would you talk within around that? Well, um, let me start with what I know, at least from a bank of research from the two to 10 project. And um, what we found, and this is an odd number, but it was based upon research, is that the average two to 10 salon that was making 5%, uh, their cost for service providers was 45 between say 45.5%, so 45.5% of service sales. This excludes yeah. payroll taxes. These are just straight labor costs, 45.5%. And that was the average, you know, two to 10 salon. As far as other labor costs that would relate with support, that's where we found, I mean, both of them had wide variations, um, service payroll and non-service payroll. So let me stay with non-service payroll, such as front desk and other support, usually between 6 to 8%. Um, so this is what we found from data. Now, um, the, uh, uh, and that was regardless how people were paid, uh, salary, yeah. commission, or a hybrid of the two. Um, 
So we have seen top performing double digit salons break the rules in both of those. But certainly it's hard to really be a high profit salon and to really have your labor costs be a heck of a lot higher um, in either of those categories. Yeah. So by the time, as you just, I mean, I, I always break them down into there's three different employees. There's the owner, because the owner has got to be paid a wage out of the business. There's the support staff that you just alluded to. And then there are the service staff. And yeah. that collectively, by the time you add those three together, um, you know, uh, I'll often do it with salon owners and there'll be 60, 65, 70% uh, going out the door in some sort of employee costs. And it's just impossible for that business to make a profit um, once they've got those sort of numbers. Because by the time you're then paying for your, your product, your rent, your utilities, and all those other remaining costs, it, it just the calculator says no. It just isn't there. It's the single biggest challenge, isn't it? Um, yeah. Trying to keep those productivity, those employee costs uh, under control. Um, I, I mentioned retail before and said how the salons that I come across that have a um, a decent profit margin, that one of the things they all have in common is that they also have a strong retail business. Is that your experience as well? Yes and no. Um, the um, I don't think it's the single X factor, okay? Uh, I think there's mm -hmm. other things that are looked to first uh, in terms of what makes a high profit and a low profit. What's the difference between the two? But certainly, um, it gives you a huge edge to have high retail uh, for a lot of reasons, what you said. I mean, your average square foot goes up, your average sales um, or call it revenue, or in Europe, they call it turnover per foot, um, goes up. And there's a high correlation between having high dollars per space, um, you know, profitability. But yeah, retail absolutely is, a, is, is definitely a key factor for the higher profit salons. I would totally agree with that. Okay. So w when you just mentioned that, uh, then you said, uh, you know, retail per, per square foot. Uh, what I want to ask you is a, a, a question. If you were saying to salon owners, look, these are the top three metrics you need to be measuring or top five. Um, what, what would you say the top five numbers uh, that a salon owner needs to understand in their business and be all over on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, so that you could say to them, you know, what retail per square foot are you getting or, or what's your client count each week or, you know, what, what is your employee cost as a percentage of sales? What, what, what are the, the top five numbers or the top three numbers that you would say are the single most important metrics that um, a salon owner should be focusing on? So I want to I want to tackle this in a couple different ways, um, and also make sure I work at summary level. Uh, so for listeners, bear with me and Anthony. I'm going to separate that into revenue related key performance indicators, yeah. uh, money coming yeah. in, and then I'm going to do another one as it relates to profitability. First of all, as it relates to money coming in, revenue, sales, turnover in certain company, you know, money coming in. Um, I've spent a lot of time in this area with research to find out how, what are the most important metrics that move sales and actually turned that into a research project to really see if small movements were made in a certain number, what would have the greatest impact on sales? And out of it, it was no question 
that it was number of client visits and the average ticket. Let me explain. So this is traffic. It's clients coming in, visits per week, per month, or whatever measuring period. So it's client count and average ticket. Average ticket is the average amount of money spent by a client during a visit. Those two numbers, they represent something we call two-number growth. They're the only two numbers that relate with sales that if you multiply them together, they will equal sales. I want you to think of them when you're driving a, a vehicle. Um, there's all sorts of indicators on your dashboard, and you can't pay attention to them all at the same time. So there's two of them that you should never lose track of. Those are gas and speed. So you can drive a vehicle and, we're, you, know, and you really want to always pay attention to those. Obviously, there's other information on the dashboard, but gas and speed are number you know, one and two. Client count and average ticket are like your gas and speed. It doesn't tell you everything, but it gives you a good summary of performance. And it's super simple. Then there's things that move client count. That is um, uh, referrals, uh, rebooking a client, and then client retention. And then the things that move average ticket are retail products, uh, add-ons, and the price you charge for the services. So that's revenue. Can I now get into profitability for a moment here? Yep. Okay. As it relates to profitability, there is, um, you know, um, there's a whole family of different benchmarks to look at. And some of that's very specific to a country, a brand, a business model. But in a general terms, um, one thing that has a very high correlation uh, to profitability is the amount of sales that you have per square foot or per meter, whatever your measuring stick is. And I'll give a US-based statistic and then uh, you know, um, at the risk of a global audience having to convert this. But what we know in the US is that we found an average US salon that's in this group called the 2 to 10 project um, had about $475 US per square foot. That was average. The top performers had over $1,000 US per square foot. So we found a very clear correlation between high revenue per space, which is really a measurement of productivity and your capacity, and then and that, that related to profitability. So uh, I could add some others, but let's just stay there for now. Okay. So if I'm a salon owner and I'm wanting to figure out, I've listened to what you've just said and gone, I need to find out what my revenue is per square foot. Tell me what I need to do. It's actually quite simple. Uh, just take annual money, annual revenue. So add up your service yep. dollars, your retail dollars, and now you have this number for the year. Divide okay, so that. Let's say it's a million dollars, a million dollars a year. Yeah. Yes. Let's say it's a million dollars, and um, then you simply divide divide that by the amount of square footage in the business. Uh, so let's just do an example of that. So we have a million dollars of sales coming in. Uh, let's say that's divided by 2,000 square feet. That would be $500 per square foot. Obviously, mm -hmm. meters and every country is going to have their own, but that's what we yeah. found over here. And I, I think it's also a good indicator 
I know you've talked about it in another podcast or one of your segments about when you add another location. And it's also a really good indicator to decide whether you should expand. If you're very low revenue per foot yeah. or meter, you probably wouldn't. If you're up on the higher end, it might be more of an invitation to expand. In different parts of the world, salons are reopening. I know in some states you're reopening and some states you're not. In the UK, we've been given till uh, 4th of July, which uh, is a, you know American Independence Day before we're allowed to open as the best possible scenario at this point in time. Um, the question is, is as salons are starting to reopen, no matter where they are, um, there's obviously been this huge impact on the economy. I mean, you've just alluded to 25% unemployment. I know I heard on the television you've got something like 36 million people that have gone unemployed at the moment, which is a huge number in, in any language. And some of them will come back, but you know, not, not all of them. So what I wanted to ask you was, is if you're a salon owner and you're now starting to reopen the doors, there is obviously going to be a... Um, you know, a, a consequence of what's happened over the last six, eight weeks with trillions of dollars being, you know, uh, pumped in by governments, whether, you know, your government, our government, you know, wherever you are in the world. Uh, so the, I, I hate saying, you know, the recession is coming, but uh, that's what I'm le leading to. What would you be saying to that salon owner who's reopening now about these are the things that you need to be making sure that you're putting in place because this could get ugly, or if not ugly, at least it's going to be tough for a while here? Yeah, I, um, obviously, the sanitation and safety standards got to be number one. And yeah. that actually, you know, that's actually part of your marketing is to really market um, all the things that you're doing. Um, you know, to be safe. We do have some early research, Anthony, on revenue numbers. And what I'm trying to do is to get some data because a lot of assumptions are being made by people, what happens after the reopen? And so in mm. certain markets in the US, I've made it a personal interest to check and say, okay, what are your, where are your revenue numbers? And um, uh, surprisingly enough, I'm going to use Atlanta, Georgia in the U.S., which is a hub for a lot of really great salons. Some of the salons we're working with down there are actually up over last year at the same week, in spite of having half the staff and half the stations. So my yeah. comment to salon owners is I think restaurants are going to suffer a lot more than salons. Uh, a friend yeah. of mine says salons are hard to grow, but they're hard to kill. So I would encourage all your <laughs> listeners to have hope. And, you know, my yeah. big message is there is reason for hope, but hope yeah. alone isn't enough. You've got to take action. And I would say, don't go into this assuming that your sales are going to go down because what we're finding is clients are spending a lot more money to catch up on those early visits, you know? And so that's one yeah. of the reasons why using my analogy of client count. So client count is lower because there's less space. But average ticket has been high enough in certain cases to be over last year, which is very surprising. So, Oh, it's interesting. Now, I suppose the big thing is can they maintain that going forward? Um, so um, I, I know you have this, you know, reading on your website that you, you and Erin, your uh, 
daughter and business partner, um, have this goal of helping 10,000 businesses. Am I correct saying that? Yeah. Um, do you, do you, yep. we, need to, we need to wrap up in a minute, but is there anything you want to say about that? And how can people... How can people connect with you to find out more about what you're doing, whether it's on social media or your website details, et cetera? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I just think of a lot of things we've talked about today is the need for making good financial decisions is very high. Uh, most salons struggle with understanding the numbers or passionate about them. So, um, you know, helping 10,000 small businesses level up their financials to help them survive is really important to us right now. We're not the hero. Uh, we can only do this together. So anyway, you can go to our website is cunityinc.com. And that's Q-N-I-T-Y-I-N-C.com. We also have a YouTube channel. The YouTube channel for your global listeners, some of them, uh, I'll warn you when it says PPP, that relates to something that's very much U.S. related. But a lot of videos that I've been yeah. doing on YouTube are unrelated to the U.S. Then, of course, there's Facebook and Instagram um, you know, and you know, we, we love, we love help people becoming more financially successful as you do. And you're so great at so. Thank you. So, um, look, unfortunately, Tom, we do have to, we do have to wrap up here. You've been an absolute, um, you know, source of information for me as well. I could sit here and, and ask you a, a lot more questions and we could, you know, compare notes forever. But, um, what I would uh, what I would like to say to our listeners is I will put those links for uh, cunityinc.com. I'll put them in the show notes. It'll be on the Grow My Salon Business uh, website. And uh, I'd also like to ask our listeners, if you're listening to this podcast with Tom Kuhn and you've enjoyed it, then please do me a favor. Take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories and don't forget to tag us in it. So to wrap up, Tom Kuhn, I'd like to thank you very much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. It's been a real pleasure to have this opportunity to talk to you, and uh, I look forward to being able to do it again at some point in time. Same here, Anthony. Right back at you, my friend. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.